0: few of you. So I, I had the best of intentions of making it to midnight with both of our sons this year um, and then around like 10 30 I started waning and I go there's no way I'm going to make it to midnight. So I started going around and kind of changing all of the clocks forward an hour so I did, yeah, start the year off with a lie. It's great, right? So so we, 11 o'clock, we celebrated the new year and everything, and Grayson was convinced, and he went to bed, and Ethan's like, Dad, I understand what you're up to, and I'm not going to bed yet. So Kathy went to bed, Grayson went to bed, and Ethan and I stayed up and watched the ball drop, and yay, happy new year and everything. So happy new year. Um, anybody here come up with a new year's resolution? No, nobody wants to... Anybody come up with one that you're still keeping at this point? <laughs> right? You've got, you got a few in the back. Art, what would you come up with? Uh-huh. I thank you, Robert. Yeah, I, I, I decided this year that my New Year's resolution is I'm not going to come up with any resolutions that I don't plan on keeping. I'm doing pretty well so far in keeping that resolution, so that's going well. And here's the thing. It's not that I have a problem uh, with, with kind of reassessing how we're living life. In fact, Kathy and I have been having a lot of conversations about that. Where are we at? How are we doing with raising our children um, how are we with our intentionality of just kind of going through life, even looking at the things that we've let into our life, like our cell phones and how much of a place that they're taking? Because like Brad was saying earlier, that, that need to be intentional about carving out space is really important because there's so many things competing with our attention. That said, what I find with resolutions is that we, ha- we tend to suffer from overcorrection syndrome. What I mean by that is, you know how like when you were learning how to drive, uh, you, you would find yourself starting to go a little bit too far over in the lane, so you'd jerk the wheel and all of a sudden you, you run into a curb or something like that? Um, or with that maybe that was just me. We have a tendency to do that with our resolutions as well. Oh man, I feel like I really didn't spend enough time with God. Like, I wanted to read through the Bible last year, and I got halfway through Genesis. Okay, I really want to do better this year. So, so then we say, okay, I'm going to set my clock, my alarm forward an hour. I'm going to get up an hour earlier every single morning and read the Bible, which lasts about two or three days, and then we miss a day, and we get discouraged, and we give up, and we don't do it again. Or maybe you, you gained a, a pound or, t- or 12 over the course of the holidays. Jeff has been losing weight. I'm very proud of him. I have been picking up every single pound that he's been shedding. So then you say, okay, for the new year, I'm never eating sweets again, and I'm going to work out every single day of the week. Well, there's a reason why the gym is absolutely packed full, and it will be empty again this time in February, right? Because people have the best of intentions, but we overcorrect to the point where it's just not realistic. Actually, I have a friend from high school who, uh, whenever he feels like he's gained too much weight, he's come up with a novel way to lose the weight. He goes on a water fast for a month at a time. He will drink nothing but water for a month. And sure, he loses the weight, and he's cranky to be around. You don't hang out with him for that month. But here's the thing. It's like a yo-yo because he loses the weight. It's not exactly the healthiest thing for his body. And then as soon as that month is up, he starts eating the same way he did before, And guess what happens? The weight begins to creep back on. So four or six months later, he's like, I got to do it again. Well, here's the thing. None of us are interested in yo-yoing. None of us are interested in overcorrecting to the point where it's just not realistic to continue to change. What we are after is real, lasting transformation. And that does not come through knee-jerk reactions like my friend has to to a water fast for a month. It comes through a long obedience in the same direction, slow but gradual change. And the same holds true for the church. We are not looking to just jerk the steering wheel of the church every year and run at something. It it used to feel that way. It used to feel like each year uh, the elder board in November would sit down and say, we want to come up with a theme for this year. And we would, we would haggle for hours about what is that theme going to be. And it, some years the theme was going to be we want to get rooted in God's word. So we're going to spend this year really kind of exegeting God's word. Or we want to get really good at uh, branching out and, and focusing on evangelism. So that's going to be the focus this year. But here's what we found happened with that. Just as the year was ending and a new year was beginning, just as we began to see fruit being produced from the the focus of the previous year, we jerk the steering wheel and go in a completely different direction, thus forgetting about kind of what we'd been spending that year cultivating. And we just decided several years ago, we don't want to do that any longer. We don't want to be a reactionary church that just keeps jerking the wheel back and forth. We want to have that long obedience in the same direction. So we have foregone Having a theme for each year, and instead we've decided that we are going to focus in on the purpose for which God has called us to continue to gather as a church. And that purpose statement is something we came up with three years ago, and I'm going to throw it up on the board. Hopefully, most of you who've been a part of Lighthouse for any length of time are familiar with this, and if you're not, I really want you to spend some time looking at this because this is what we are about as a church. Lighthouse Community Church is committed to making disciples. That is our primary focus, making disciples who love God love one another, and love our neighbors. That, yeah, you can, that, that, I'm glad you, you can clap for that for sure. You don't have to. Um, but that is our primary calling. And, and I want to say right off the bat, I understand that this is not revolutionary. I understand that this is not something that only Lighthouse does. Churches around the world focus on making disciples who are growing in the relationship with God, relationship with one another, as they look to kind of shine the light of love beyond the walls of their church. The reality is, though, we want to zero in on what we are called to do so we can be intentional about it. And having a purpose statement like this helps us to focus our energies because there are a lot of things that compete with our attention as a church. There will be throughout the year dozens of opportunities that are really good that some of you will even present to us. Hey, I want to do a yoga class. Hey, I want to offer this kind of class or I want to offer this kind of a thing. Hey, we want to we go over here and, and save the dolphins or whatever it happens to be. All good things but the reality is what we have the opportunity to do with having this purpose statement is really say, does this help us with what God has called us to do and to be about as a church? And if the answer is no, then with a good conscience, we can say, we, this is a good thing, but it's not what we are being called to do. It also acts as a, as a source of accountability for us both as leaders as well as for those of us who call Lighthouse home. As leaders, we have the ability throughout the year to say, hey, how are we doing? Are we making choices that help us to cultivate disciples who are growing in their relationship with God, one another, and their neighbors? And for those of you who call Lighthouse home, it gives you the opportunity to really step back and say, hey, is this the kind of community that I want to be part of? If this is what they're about... God, are you calling me to be part of this church and to be part of this? Because I will tell you, we are not looking to fill the seats with fans who just kind of cheer on the professional Christians who are running at this. Every single one of us is called to be a disciple maker. Every single one of us is called to be a disciple who's growing in the relationship with God, one another, and their neighbors. And so this is an invitation to you to get out of the stands and onto the field. And we're going to spend this month unpacking what this means. Now, typically in in the years past, and I know that so far this probably sounds a little bit like review, and today may be a little bit review for some of you who have been a part of the church for the last few years because we are setting the foundation by reminding ourselves what we are about as a church so that beginning next week, we can begin to unpack some of the new, fresh vision that God has given us from the missional pathway last year that has given us a real clear understanding of just how we are going to go about loving our neighbors in particular. So let's go ahead and read this one more time together as a church. Lighthouse Community Church, is committed to making disciples who love God, love one another, and love our neighbor. Now, what I love about our purpose statement is it not only declares what we will be about, making disciples, and we're going to unpack what that means in just a minute, but it also gives us the steps or the, the kind of the ways in which we are doing that. Number one would be that we are growing in our relationship with God, that we are doing life with one another, and that we are ultimately loving our neighbors as well. And this is the one time of year that I get to bring out my favorite prop that I have yet to have broken, which is a good thing. And, it, you know, I keep, ta- I know, I keep saying that, and every year I'm like, oh, please don't be the year I break this thing, right? You and I were created to be light, Jesus said, you are the light of the world, a city on a hill. Don't, you know, don't hide your light, but let it shine for others to see that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. That's, that's kind of what we are about, is to be light bearers. Uh, imi- we were created in the image of God to reflect his love and his light into this sin-darkened world that we happen to find ourselves living in. But as with this light bulb, it only works with a few things happening. First, it cannot radiate light on its own. It needs a power source. That's why this part that you almost never see on a light is one of the most crucial parts. Because this part here is made to be fitted into a source of of power. And only so long as it stays connected to that source of power can it do what it was created to do. This is the loving God component. If we are not plugged into our relationship with God, remaining connected to Him, not just, oh, I need to check in on Sunday morning for an hour and a half. Oh, I need to get a refill by going to a life group, you know, for an hour on the weekend. Maybe I need five minutes in the morning to spend a little bit of time just to get that charge going so I can make it through the rest of the day. We were created to abide or to stay, remain connected to our our God. And if we are, then we have the ability to bear light or bear fruit. If we are not, then we're not going to radiate His love. The second part that's crucial to any light bulb is this filament. At least, you know, the, the old school Edison bulbs, which are my favorite. This filament represents the loving one another component. It's the part where it's a little messy, it's life on life, right? And that filament is what ultimately takes the energy from the the light source, and, and then it travels through, and as it is connected, it makes light. The moment that that gets severed in some way, the light goes out. And in the same way, you and I were created to do life with one another, to be connected in community. In fact, the one thing that God said wasn't good about his creation, that man would be alone. And so here at Lighthouse, the way that we love one another is by creating opportunities for us to do life together. Part of that is the the three to five minutes that we spend each Sunday morning just kind of connecting with one another, saying hi, checking in. But that is absolutely not enough. And the primary way we do life together here at this church is in life groups. And if you are not currently signed up for a part of a life group, then you're missing the best part of what Lighthouse has to offer, because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where the life on life happens. That's where you begin to develop those kind of relationships that become your 3 a.m. relationships, where when life is hitting and it's going sideways and you just need somebody to process with, or you've broken down on the side of the road and you need to call somebody, or you just feel like you have hit a wall and you can't figure out how to proceed, and you just need somebody to talk to. It's the people from your life group that we are seeing predominantly are the ones who are coming alongside in community. So if you're not part of a life group, on your connection card, please, I implore you to to sign up to get plugged in. We are endeavoring to make sure that we have space in our church for anybody that wants to be part of a life group because we were created to do community. And when we do these things, when we remain connected to God, and when we remain connected to one another then we, our lives, do what a light bulb does, and that is it naturally begins to produce light that radiates into the darkness and pushes the darkness back because you are surrounded by darkness. Some of them, f- for some of you, you're aware that darkness is in your own home or it's in your neighborhood or it's at your workplace or school or it's where you go and work out or you know, the coffee shop that you frequent. And wherever we go, I want to remind you, Lighthouse... We may call ourselves lighthouse, but this building is not the light. You are the light. And so our desire is that we would help you grow as disciples who are connected to God, doing life with one another, so that ultimately we can radiate the light of God's love into our community. I'm going to move this off to the side so I don't knock it over. But I'm going to, you know, throughout this month, we're going to just kind of We're going to keep this on to remind us of what we are about. But this begs an important question. If we are about making disciples, what exactly is a disciple, right? And how how does one become a disciple? Well, this is what Jesus was about. I've had people say, well, Eric, it's interesting that you choose to make discipleship your focus as a church. Why not worship? Why not evangelism? You know, there's so many other things that you could say this is the main thing. Why is it discipleship? To which I would answer, it's because this was Jesus' main thing. This was the way in which Jesus spent his time. Yes, he went out and he shared the good news. Yes, he healed hurting people. But ultimately, his greatest investment in the kingdom of God was a, a group of people and, and specifically a group of about 12 that he invited to walk alongside of him and do life with him. And Jesus then turned to those guys and said, hey, listen, what I've been doing, I want you now to do. Remember the Great Commission? Let's throw that up there. This was his last charge to his disciples. He said this, go. Go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. In other words, what I've been doing, now I'm calling you to do. In the same way that I've been making disciples, I want you now to go make disciples. Because that's what Jesus commissioned his followers to do, and because we consider ourselves followers or or disciples of Jesus Christ, we are now called to make more disciples. Of course, this begs the question, what exactly is a disciple? How is that different from being a believer or a Christian? That's what I want to unpack this morning. Um, In Jesus's day, discipleship is what he was about. It's what he did. It was how people, a disciple is not a student. It's not somebody who simply sits at a desk taking notes, and retaining information. A disciple is somebody who learns through proximity 24-7. And, and so let's just take a step back 2,000 years ago to how people, how children were discipled or raised spiritually. When somebody, a child, would, made it to the age of six, they would be enrolled in what's known as sefer And Betsephir means house of the book. And they would specifically be trained in the the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. That six-year-old would begin to read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Read it over and over and over again and begin to memorize it. So that by the time they reached the ripe old age of 10, they would have the first five books of the Bible memorized, hidden in their heart. Now, for for many of those kids, that was the extent of their religious training, and they would go back home and they would begin to be apprenticed to their parents, whatever their dad did. If he was a fisherman, they were going to be apprenticed to fishermen. If he was a woodworker, they would be apprenticed as woodworkers. But there were some who excelled, some for whom the memorization and and the, the understanding of what they were reading stuck so well that they were invited to the second round of training, and that was called Bet Talmud or the house of learning. And f- between the ages of 10 and 14, these kids would begin to now memorize the rest of what the, the, the Hebrews would call their scriptures, what we know as the Old Testament. From Genesis all the way to Malachi, the Italian prophet, or Malachi, however you pronounce it, right? All of this memorized by the age of 14. Now, at this point, the vast majority of students have kind of tapped out and said, this is as far as I go. And they would then go home and become apprenticed to whether it's fishing or carpentry or whatever it happens to be uh, that their, their father was in. But a student who really excelled, who, con- who, who wasn't content simply having scripture memorized, but wanted to go on to become a rabbi himself, he would apply to become a Talmudine or a disciple of a rabbi. And this is what would happen. No, he would go and he would present himself to a rabbi that he respected, that he wanted to be discipled to, and he would say, I'd like to be your disciple, your Talmudin. But the rabbis were very picky about who they chose because they weren't just looking to have a lot of disciples following them. The reality is you can't do life with a whole lot of people. So they were very select in who they would choose. And a rabbi would only choose a disciple whom he felt had the potential to become a rabbi themselves. So so they would begin by having a test. They would sit back and go, you want to be my disciple? Okay. How many times does the word worship come up in the book of Leviticus? And then that potential disciple would have to, from memory... Begin counting up the times the word worship comes up and he would answer the question. And if he got that one right, he would be asked another question and another question and another question. This is like the SAT on steroids, right? And for those students that excelled, who passed the rabbi's test, that they, that, that rabbi felt this person could do what I do, this person has the potential to be a great rabbi themselves, he would extend this invitation, come follow me. That was an invitation to discipleship. And if that student heard those words, come, follow me, he left his home and he moved in with the rabbi. He began to live life 24-7 with that rabbi. And there were three goals of becoming a, a, a Talmudin or a disciple of the rabbi. Goal number one is you would be with your rabbi. We're not talking about, hey, I show up to the synagogue three times a week for an hour and a half, two hours, and we study Scripture together. This is a 24-7 change of life where you go everywhere the rabbi goes. If he's walking to the market, you're walking to the market with him. If he's in prayer, you are right next to him in prayer. If he's reading the the Scriptures on the scrolls, you're there reading right along with him and having a conversation about what you're reading. There's this, um, there's this saying that comes out of this time. It was a blessing to disciples, and it was this May you be covered by the dust of your rabbi. Basically, what it's saying is, May your proximity to your, your rabbi be so close that the, the very dust that their sandals kick up ends up caking your clothes. That's the proximity that you have to your rabbi. So goal number one is to be with your rabbi, but that is simply a means to an end, not the end in and of itself. What they are after by having proximity to their rabbi is they would begin to become like their rabbi, that they would be shaped into the image of the one that they are following. So in order to do that, whatever their rabbi does, they do. If the rabbi gets up at four in the morning to study scripture, you get up at four in the morning to study scripture. If the rabbi prays out loud, you begin to pray out loud. If he does it silently, you do it silently. If the rabbi likes to eat his meat medium rare, guess how you like your meat? And if the rabbi's a vegetarian, sorry, so are you. If the rabbi, when he enters the public courts, and he sees a foreigner and he moves towards that foreigner to talk to them, then you begin to move towards foreigners and talk to them in the same way. But if your rabbi ignores foreigners, then so do you. In every way, your goal as the disciple is to become as close to a carbon copy of your rabbi as possible. So by proximity, by time spent together, you begin to be shaped in his image to become more like him. Because the ultimate goal of any disciple is to do what your rabbi does. So that by the end of your discipleship process, you not only sound like your rabbi when, you, when somebody asks you a theological question, you answer it in the same way your rabbi would have, but that you, your life, the, the cadence of your voice, the, the way you interact with people, the way you carry yourself, your demeanor, everything, is just like your rabbi. And ultimately, you become a rabbi who is able to take disciples and and pass that yoke of teaching on to another generation. That's the goal. And in fact, that's exactly what Jesus was looking to do with his disciples. Now, he didn't take the best of the best in the way that the other rabbis were looking, right? He took a bunch of fishermen, tax collectors, zealots, the kind of people that most of the rabbis would be like, dude, why are you gathering this rabble around you? But that's who he chose to gather around him, and and he invited them to walk with me. Follow me. Let's do life together. He spent three years walking with them. They followed his example. They became more like him. And he looked at them, and he says, listen, you will not only do the things I've been doing. You'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you to do it. But ultimately, you're going to do what I've been doing. And think back to the Great Commission. He was basically commissioning them to do what he had been doing to make more disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything he had taught them. Because they were to pass the yoke of his teaching on to the next generation. Do you begin to see how discipleship is everything? Now, a couple of things I need to, to, to let you know about. We at Lighthouse are not interested in simply making students of God's word. We're not interested in simply part, you know, giving you interesting information that you can write down but has no bearing on your life. Ultimately, our goal is to help you become a disciple of Jesus Christ so that your life will look more like his life and the way you interact with people will be more like how he would interact with people. We are not interested in making disciples of Jeff or of myself or Diane or Michelle or anybody else. We are all about making, becoming greater reflections of Jesus Christ. And, and, and something I need to let you know about discipleship is that it is not optional in any way, shape, or form. It's not something that we just opt into as if it's a a secondary, higher level of following Jesus. In fact, it's really either you be a disciple or you're not a follower of Jesus at all. Jesus, um, in the New Testament, 269 times the word disciple comes up. You know how many times the word believer comes up? Three times. You know how many times the word Christian comes up in the New Testament? Two times. Clearly, Jesus was not interested in making believers or Christians. He was focused on making disciples who were in proximity to him, who were being shaped by him so they could ultimately do what he did, namely to be a light shining in the world, directing people back to the only one who could save their souls. People who could make other disciples. But if that's the case, if it's always been about discipleship, then how did we get to this point where we tend to think of discipleship as a secondary higher level of commitment? Where, you know, everybody is kind of a believer. That's where you start when you pray the prayer, but then you can opt into becoming a disciple. How did we get here? I would suggest to you that it's, it's well-meaning pastors like myself who have played a, a, a huge role in this. Because we placed a huge emphasis on praying a prayer of salvation, of inviting Jesus into your heart, almost as if that is the finish line where you get your ticket stamped to heaven and then you can go back to your regularly scheduled life. But the truth of the matter is that Jesus never once in Scripture invites somebody to pray a prayer never once. Do you remember what his invitation was? Follow me. Everybody that he invited to do life, it was an invitation to discipleship. Follow me. Do life with me. Spend time in proximity to me. Be shaped in my image so that you can ultimately do what I have been doing. Don't worry. I know that I'm going to the Father, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to empower you so that you can do greater things than you could ever anticipate on your own. That's what Jesus was about, is making disciples, and that's what we are going to be about as a church. What does this look like? What does it look like to be a disciple who makes other disciples? I, I remember about 20 years ago when I was just starting out in ministry, I got a chance to sit down with uh, a guy who had been discipling longer than my parents had been alive at the time. He's about 75 years old, and since like the age of 18, he had been intentionally focused on making disciples. And I asked him, What does discipleship look like for you? Like, how do you understand it? And he said, Well, I follow Jesus. And as I do, sometimes God will tap me on the shoulder and point to somebody and say, that one. And so then I go to that person and say, hey, come on, let's do life together. And we begin to journey together. The things that they're grappling with, we, we, we process them together. And the things that I'm grappling with, I invite them into those conversations. Where they go, I, I go with them. If I'm, if I'm going to go do a visitation with somebody who's hurting, I'm going to invite them to come along and we're going to do it together. Together. Now, sometimes our paths diverge. Maybe they have to move or something happens where they're no longer available and their their path goes this way, but I keep following Jesus. And sometimes God will bring our paths back together and we, we start journeying together again. But regardless of whether or not I have somebody walking next to me, I've always got my eyes fixed on Jesus and I'm following Him because I'm always a disciple before I'm a discipler. That's how I've come to understand discipleship. It's not about a curriculum. Plenty of people have tried to write down a curriculum for how to disciple somebody. The reality is, discipleship is far more about relationship, about proximity, about doing life together. In 1 Thessalonians 2, Paul says this, we loved you so much, we didn't just share the gospel with you, but our very lives as well. That's discipleship. And the way he summed it up in... um, I think it's 1 Corinthians 11, chapter 1. He puts it this way. Follow my example as I follow the example of Jesus Christ. I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus so you can walk with me and you can follow my example. But remember, as we're doing this, I'm being shaped by Christ, which means that you are also, as we're doing life together, are being shaped by Christ into Christ's image, not into my image because we are not interested in making carbon copies of Jeff Lee Eric Wayman, Diane Winnicky, Jeannie Massengill, or even Charlie, as wonderful as he is, we're not. I know. God, why have you given me this, Pastor? I get, it. I get it. So what does this look like? Well, for the last three years, this has been our focus as a church, and it will continue to be our focus as a church for as long as I can foresee until God decides to change it up for us, and I don't anticipate that's coming anytime soon. We are going to be a church that is focused on discipleship, which means that every decision that we make is run through the filter of, does this help us make more disciples? Does this help us create space for life on life so that we can do life together and in in that, spur one another on? Does it help? Some of the conversations we've been having you know, November and December of last year in preparation for this year, I have begun to ask all of our leadership, from our elders on down to our life group leaders and all of the volunteers, I want to see you be intentional about intentionally inviting other people to walk alongside of you. For life groups, since life groups are where we create that life-on-life interaction, we need to have space because we have a lot of new people that are beginning to call Lighthouse home. We need to have space. And so I looked at all of the life group leaders and I said, I need you to make sure that you have space in your group. And if the answer is we're full, then either you find a bigger box to meet in, or better yet, you birth a new group, two out of one, so that you can now begin to invite more people so you have more space. But there needs to be people who have the ability to lead those groups, to facilitate the conversation. Not to teach, because the conversations are primarily to unpack what we've talked about on the weekend. And in order to make that happen, we need to begin developing new leaders, which means that the current life group leaders have been tasked with not just leading their life group on their own, facilitating every week's conversation, but instead to share the facilitation responsibilities with others in the group so that others begin to go, oh, I can do this, I can lead too, so that one day they can have the courage to step out and birth a new group. And we have two or three groups that are actually beginning for the first time this year because we needed more space. So that's one little bit of fruit that's come from this conversation. Another bit of fruit is something we got to experience this morning. We've got Bill Nelson who was sitting over here. God has given Bill a tremendous amount of gifting. Not only does he lead Fresh Beginnings Ministries, which is ministering to and feeding something like 7,000 uh, needy people in our community every month, but he's also got over 30 years of worship leadership experience under his belt. I mean, he, I played at one point with um, Sandy Patty or somebody like that, you know, those, those, those kind of things. Oh, and earth, wind, and fire. That was another fun one, right? So anyway, Bill has got a tremendous amount of, uh, I think at some point he said he's been the interim le- uh, worship pastor at 12 different churches, needless to say, for a church that is in this interim period of going, God, what is our worship going to look like? He's been an unbelievably huge blessing to our church. And he could easily sit in the middle here and lead us every single week. But the fact of the matter is that's not his role, nor is it what God is calling us to be about as a church. We could have him step into that role. Okay, we're good. We got our worship pastor. We're done. Let's move on. But instead, what we want to be is a church that raises up the next generation of worship leader. And so today, you got a great taste of it. Bill steps over to the side. He's here alongside Brad, who has been a drummer for us a number of times, but this is the second time he's led worship for us. And we have a whole crop of young, you know, worshipers that have the potential to be used powerfully by God if we can just develop their giftings. And what Bill's role for our church moving forward will be is to, to provide oversight and mentoring for this young, fresh crop of worship leader who can one day grow to become worship pastors, who, might, who will be a blessing for our church, but ultimately will bless the kingdom of God because it's never, ever about blessing ourselves to just be a blessing to ourselves. It's about being blessed in order to bless the kingdom of God and bless everyone so it might come that we develop Brad for a season, and then God calls Brad out to go and be a worship pastor at another church, or it might be Cheyenne, or, or some of the other young voices that God has blessed us with. Another area that we're really being intentional with is in our teaching. There have been a few people who have pushed back and said, hey, why, doesn't it, why don't you and Jeff teach every week? <clears throat> like, is it too much work for you to teach one time on a Sunday? Come on. The reason we don't teach every week, one, because I don't think that it's, it is healthy to only hear one or two voices. It's really important for you to hear multiple perspectives, but secondarily, but just as importantly, especially in consideration of our purpose as a church, is that we are looking to raise up the next generation. We need to equip people so that they can use those giftings that are latent in there, but there needs to be space for them to process them. So let me give you one example. A couple years ago, God brought a guy named Greg Barone and his family to our church from Houston. His job transferred him. They found themselves here. They didn't know for how long, but they fell in love with Lighthouse and they dove in. Greg was the kind of guy who was hungry to grow. So he began to ask to, to have some time with Jeff and myself. And we are busy, but we are always interruptible for somebody who's hungry to grow. So we began to meet with Greg and, and Greg began to talk about his desire to be in ministry, but he didn't know what that looked like, and he didn't have formal training and stuff. And, what is, and, and as we walked with him, we recognized that God w- was birthing something in him that we wanted to cultivate. And so two years ago at the men's retreat, rather than Jeff and myself leading that or hiring somebody from outside to come and be the speaker for that, we said, you know, we want you guys to be able to share. And one of the people we asked to share was Greg. And he shared his testimony. And he did a great job. He was he was authentic. He was real. He was raw. And then when we came back, we said, Hey Greg, we, we would like to have you begin preparing to teach on a Sunday in August. Oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. And so for the next three months, he began to process what he was going to share and refine it. And he would bring his notes and we would give constructive, loving, but firm feedback. And and, and, and he continued to refine it until couple years ago, he stood up for the first time in front of a, a large audience and he, he got to share and he did a great job. Again, real, authentic, unpolished, which is everything. Last year, God called Greg and his family back to Houston, where they came from, where, th- where work was, and that's where they ultimately landed. But the seeds had been planted, so they began a a house church that over the course of this year they've begun to minister to their family and their extended kind of sphere of influence. God is beginning, God used their time here to help till the soil and prepare for them to be used there, and he's using them powerfully there, and that's just one example of many. Because at the end of the day, our goal in discipling people is not simply to bless lighthouse community, but to raise up leaders who can be a blessing to the entire world or to their spheres of influence wherever God happens to call them. And we are committed to it as a church. I have one last uh, piece of fruit I want to share with you today. But in order to do that, I need to invite Michelle Getz and Ashley Clark to come up here. Now, Michelle is not somebody who ever likes to have a microphone in her hand, so I'm not going to force that upon her right now. But I want to tell you a story. Four years ago, four and a half years ago, uh, Michelle stepped into our director of children's ministry role as a church. And she can attest that at the time, she did not feel competent to hold that role. Would, would you agree, Michelle? Yeah. She goes, uh, that's not me. I go, yes, it is. We've, we've, we've walked with you. We've seen, come, come here. We've walked with you long enough to know you have a heart. I will. You have a heart for ministry, and so for the last, what, four, four and a half years, Michelle has grown as our children's ministry director to becoming our children's minister, and she has done a fabulous job, not only of the administrative component, but the shepherding component of loving your kids and helping us as parents know how to come alongside of our kids and train them up in the way they should go. But as with our purpose of, n- of never doing things by ourselves and raising up the next generation, Michelle recognized she couldn't do this on her own. She couldn't carry the weight of this ministry and all of the different responsibilities. They're myriad. And so over the course of this time, she's had different people that have helped carry the load. And for the last two years, Ashley has been the one who's been walking with Michelle and helping carry the load. So on any given day during the week, you know, two or three times a week, it's so fun to walk past the office and see... Michelle and Ashley on either side of the table kind of preparing, planning, praying for the, the children that God has entrusted and, and planning for a Sunday and calling volunteers and making sure that they're ready to love on our kids. And they've done a great job together. Well, fast forward to this last year, and Michelle and, and her husband, Gene, have been feeling a desire to move to Idaho. I know, apparently it's, it, it's feasible to buy a house out there right now, right? <laughs> but they didn't know when they would be released from the responsibilities of being here. Uh, well, a couple of months ago, God kind of closed the door to their living arrangements and, and, and ministry things uh, in one, and it felt like at that point, it was the, the opportunity, the invitation to like, this is the time to make the leap. Well, what does that mean though for Lighthouse. Right, Because here's the thing, Gene and Michelle going to Idaho, it's going to be a blessing for them, but it's also going to be an unbelievable blessing for some community out there where they land. And there's a lot of questions of what that looks like and where they're going to land, but I guarantee you that today there's a church that has no idea of the blessing that they're in store for, getting Michelle and Gene as a part of their community. They're going to be a wonderful asset. They are going, this is just the beginning of their journey as ministers. What does that mean for Lighthouse? Well, the best part in this is that for the last two years, Michelle has been training up Ashley by simply walking with her, not by going, hey, let me give you a curriculum. Let me teach you all the things you need to know. She's been walking together and doing the ministry together so that as when she said, hey, we really feel like it's time to go, Jeff and I didn't go, oh, no. We were sad because we love him. But it was a bittersweet thing because we don't want to see our friends go, but we're so excited for what God has in store for them, and we know it's right. And the best part is we didn't even have to go looking for another ministry director over our children's ministry. We already had one that we got to raise up and train up for the last two years. We know Ashley. We know her heart, and she is absolutely as ready as anybody could be to step into this role. Not that she has it all figured out, but neither do I, and I've been the lead pastor now for three years, so, you know, we're all a work in progress. So I'm going to give uh, Michelle the opportunity to pray over and commission Ashley to this new role as children's ministry director that she begins as of today, but before we do that, there's one other person I want to introduce you to, and that's Beth Moran, so come on up here, Beth, because here's the thing. Oh, yeah, you can clap for her, too. (laughs) You don't know why, but you're clapping. That's awesome. Let me give you a reason to clap. In the same way that Ashley has been carrying the weight uh, with Michelle and learning from her, when we began to prepare for Ashley to make this leap, we said, we don't want you to do this alone. We want you to have somebody walking with you and helping carry the weight with you. And Beth, who has a couple of kids, is a part of our, our, our children's ministry, but is, she's just a part of our family and has been now for, what, the last year or so? Year and a half-ish? Um, she has felt like God is saying, this is yours to step into. And so in the same way that Ashley is stepping into the director of our children's ministry, Beth is going to be stepping into the children's ministry intern role, helping walk alongside Ashley, learning from her, because at the end of the day, We hold this loosely and we say, God, we want to constantly be developing and walking with one another so that we're all growing. So, with that, I would love, Michelle, for you to pray over these two that are going to continue the ministry that God had entrusted to you for four years. Would you, and would you guys just extend a hand, Beth and Ashley, would you come down here for a sec? We just want to, we just want to take a moment to pray over them. Father God, I am so grateful for the gift that you have given to this church with both Ashley and Beth. Lord, I thank you that Jeff just a couple of years ago realized that we had even a space for an intern. And I just watched your plan unfold, and it was just so easy, and the puzzle pieces all fell together. And I'm just so um, excited to see what Ashley and Beth are going to do. And I am so um, excited about how, again, your plan is just unfolding before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And, and with that, Jeff, I'm going to invite you to come forward as well. Gene, um, would you come on down and join Michelle? We just want to take a moment. Uh, now, the, the nice thing is we're letting you know in advance they're not leaving until the end of the month. So we have several more weeks that Michelle and Gene will be here. But we just want to take a moment to commission them. Because, again, we don't believe that we can hold on to any of you. And as a community, we do life together, but sometimes God says, hey, come this way with me. And for this season, he's inviting Gene and Michelle to go to Idaho. And they are going to be a blessing out there. And we just want to take a moment. Come on over here, Gene. We just want to take a moment to pray over them and commission them to whatever God has in store. So if you would, just extend a hand for a moment. Father God, I am so grateful for my brother and my sister. I'm so grateful for the gift that they have been to our community. They are a part of our family. And we're not losing them. Your kingdom is growing as they get to go out and be a blessing and make your name great, not make Lighthouse's name great. I'm grateful for this season that we've gotten to journey together. I'm grateful for the gifts that you've entrusted to both of them, and I'm grateful for the ways that you are going to use them, even though they don't necessarily know what that is yet. God, I want to specifically pray for the community that are going to be the blessed recipients of this couple. I pray uh, that you would open and close doors according to your will, both for work as well as for ministry. We pray, Father, for where they will ultimately land in terms of housing. We pray for their neighbors. We pray for the sphere of influence that you're going to plug them into. But I am so grateful for the gift that they are to our family. And I'm so grateful for the ways that you have been and will continue to use them. So we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would go ahead of them and prepare that place. We pray that you would be with them on the drive out and the subsequent drives to get all of their things out there. We pray, Father, that you would come behind them, that you would shore up the... The, the responsibilities and the areas of ministry that they have been carrying for a season but now hand off to other people. I'm grateful for this ministry team, and I'm excited to see how you use them to advance your kingdom for your name's sake. pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. I love you. Yeah. Everybody's welcome to come out and help me catch every single sound. It's not a knee-jerk, turn the wheel and go in a different direction. In every way, it is building on the foundation of what he's already been doing in our church for the last three years. It just helps flesh out and refocus what we are called to be about as a church. Disciples who are doing life with God, life with one another, so we can really radiate the love of Jesus into our communities, and it helps us to begin to understand what that looks like real time and how each and every one of you play a part in that. So I... I, I, I cannot strongly enough encourage you to not miss next week. And, you know, let's just do, let's turn over a new leaf and show up at 10 a.m. rather than 10.15. You know, just saying. Shall we respond? All right, let's, let's respond. Jesus, we thank you so much for loving us. I thank you so much for my family. I pray that you would, you would be glorified through, this, through the, the, the song of our heart, uh, through our offering, whether that's an offering of our time, uh, a, a declaration, I want to be in a life group, Even our financial offering, God, would you be glorified in everything? Jesus, in your holy name, Amen. amen. Let's worship together.